And everybody knows that Chewbacca notorious for just like spring break party girl. Loop Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us.com. Uh, joining me today are Chris. Hey. Brent. Hello. And myself, David. TJ is on assignment <laughs> <laughs> and not on the podcast. We uh, had a little break last week and we're back with a vengeance talking about stuff. Uh, first thing we're going to talk about is our follow-up from two weeks ago. Uh, the homework assignment was assigned by Brent and it was Swingers. And Brent is so money. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really liked rewatching Swingers. It's it feels like a a movie. It's, I, I call them time travel movies where you watch them and it can put you distinctly and accurately in a single place and time. And I feel like that's a night like a quintessential '90s movie yeah. that you know the the swing revival of the '90s. And uh, I think I was I was too young to be actively engaged in it, but watching it, I kept having an ongoing sense of oh yeah, <laughs> that was a thing, yeah, right? <laughs> It, it felt like a like a a pretty steady eye roll, like not because it was it was bad, but just because it was like, oh, that's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not necessarily what's in it, but what that led to. Yeah, so I feel like for such a small movie, it was influential of the swing thing. I guess it was an LA thing first, and then it was you know Gap ads, and everybody was jitterbugging. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Bowling shirts. Wait, you do know that, that Swingers isn't about swing dancing, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a different movie. Her Vince Vaughn perfects Wait. the Lindy Hop. It's all one of those three-minute short films. <laughs> Surprised we didn't follow up on Swingers two through sixty-nine. <laughs> I like how it just sort of established the only role that was ever suitable for Jean Favreau, which is the sad sack guy you empathize with, Hum- uh, human Eeyore, right? <laughs> and then. Uh, also kind of did it for Vince Vaughn, too, because uh, the lovable douche. Yeah, Vince Vaughn will go on to play that role for the rest of his life. <laughs> yep. Especially in Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the same character. If you would have told me that his character from Swingers traveled back in time and enlisted and became, like, a drill sergeant, I'd be, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I've seen both those movies, and that makes sense. That's Vince Vaughn's canon. Yeah, there are a few, like, uh, it has, uh, some of the references have, have aged poorly, like the, uh, you know, there's there's the casual gay slur used in the movie from time to time, yeah. and that's, you know, very 90s. And... I don't remember, also, going back on it, how, like, I don't want to say relentlessly, but it's a pretty misogynist movie. Like, everyone's yes. either a beautiful baby or you're a skank. Especially Vince. <laughs> but, it, you know, as I was watching it, I feel like it's all coming from Vince Vaughn. Yes. Yeah. Like, John Favreau is a pretty likable character. It's just, the only thing that's unlikable about him is that he's he's hitched himself to Vince Vaughn for life. Right. I, 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 I agree. I, I couldn't reconcile whether, like, is this movie disgusting and misogynist or is Vince Vaughn doing it? And we're seeing Vince Vaughn through the eyes of John Favreau, who 
you know, glorifies Vince Vaughn's lifestyle. And I still don't know which one it is. Yeah, you, do, uh, you do see it bleed over a little bit. Like, you see Favreau agreeing and talking about she was a skank. Uh, Vince Vaughn's friend Sue is also kind of like a little Vince Vaughn clone. Mm-hmm. I think it's the the friend circle, but... Yeah. You know, you're right. John Favreau is more redeeming at the end. I think the whole arc of it is that he's rejecting Trent... Trent is Vince Vaughn, right? Mm-hmm. Trent's whole perception of get girls, when he yeah. finally rejects it, is when he finally finds success. I forgot how funny that scene is when he's leaving messages on the, <laughs> on the answer machine. <laughs> oh, man. It's just, it's a, that is a... That is a it's funny and just makes me cringe the whole time because yeah. it's just, oh, please don't call again. Please don't call again. <laughs> I feel like since then, you you see that in so many movies is the, the over voice message thing, mm-hmm. which is kind of a relic of answering machines. Because now it would be texting. Now it would be somebody sending yeah. like 30 texts. <laughs> yeah, because if someone left 30 voicemails on my phone, she's like, okay, I can go to an option, just delete them all. <laughs> just move on with my life. Don't ever text me again. <laughs> <laughs> is that where, is, is swingers where the, like, the phrase or the term money meaning good comes from? I think so. From what I understand, yes, it is. Because now it's just so common. I didn't even realize that until I was watching it, that it probably started there. Yeah, and it's we've we've reached a point where the pendulum has almost swung the other way. Money was in fashion for a long time in the '90s and the aughts, and yeah. now you know it's hard to now it's just you know an emoticon, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that that's what caught on instead of beautiful babies. <laughs> beautiful what babies. a weird what a weird way to describe women that you want to sleep with. Infantilizing sexual conquest. It's just a, it's a whole psychological thing. You've got, a, got a crib full of beautiful babies. And it, I think it, it reached... <laughs> Man, my apartment, we call it the nursery. <laughs> I was about to say, like, let's go to the bar. It's a real orphanage there. It's way different. <laughs> That's that's our beautiful babies with daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> to that point, I think it reaches like the climax of that in the. I think it's the final scene of the movie when uh, Trent is flirting with the girl across the diner. Cringe thing. Um, it's where oh, yeah. he's like flirting. It's like oh, she's playing games. Like I can play games. You. I think I wrote it down, you nasty little cute little baby, is what he's saying. And he's saying it like baby speak. <laughs> and it eventually the, the woman is making faces at her actual baby, and Trent is humiliated, and John Favreau laughs at him. <laughs> I, feel like, I like that scene just because it kind of establishes that we're not supposed to be on Trent's side. Like, at, mm-hmm. and through all of it, it's just like, yeah, Trent, Trent is the, the one we should mock. Yeah. This movie. Well, and so it doesn't glorify him too much. Right. There's that, and then there's also like the scene, the altercation in the parking lot where the little brother type, I forget his name. Yeah, his name is Sue. 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 Boy named Sue. Where, where like Sue pulls a gun yeah. and like fires in the air, and everyone admonishes him, rightfully so. But then, like, the more that like Vince Vaughn is yelling at him, the more you realize, like, oh, Vince Vaughn's yelling at him because he was like, making, like, racial assumptions about these people and saying, like, what, like, you think that they don't have guns or, like, you think you're not, like, we're not going to get stabbed by them? It's like, okay, well, you know, he wasn't saying, like, don't shoot people because, like, murder is wrong and you're going to go to jail. It was like, don't shoot these people because then I'm going to get shot. (laughs) Right. I feel like a lot of us know people like that that are just, you know, loyal friends, but not that good of a person. <laughs> so, uh, like he'd have my back, but I'm not sure what he'd do. <laughs> right. Um, also, this movie is, like, obsessed with making little movie references oh, all man. the way throughout. You have them talking about the Reservoir Dogs scene. 
It, yeah. it gets kind of like obnoxious. And like, that they, scene's so cool. And then directly after, they do the Reservoir Dog scene. And they also rip off the. I don't say rip off. Obviously, pay homage to the Goodfellas scene where they're like, "Oh, that scene was so cool. It was like one shot." And eventually, they go into the club through the kitchen as the one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was was it a movie reference? The hundred times, not hundred times, but when they're hopping between parties and they all pull up their cars next to each other, then they synchronize like door closing one after another. Is that from something, or is that just like? St- Style? I don't know. You probably can't extricate the two yeah. you know, with the movie. Because the whole culture it's talking about is indebted to looking at the past. You know, at the end, they're trying to find a... <laughs> they're trying to find, like, a speakeasy <laughs> with no sign on Frank Sinatra's birthday. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that, like, Trent's character and some of these other things you're talking about, you, do you think they're a uh, statement on the douchiness of L.A.? I think for sure. Yeah. It comes from... Uh, Vince Vaughn's from Chicago and co-wrote it, and John Favreau thinks from New York, or maybe Chicago and wrote it, and they both had to... You know, the genesis of writing it is couldn't find parts, and they wrote something for themselves. That's definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, any thoughts about Heather Graham in it? I, I kept thinking, like, thinking back on the movie that she doesn't really talk and she's just a little manic pixie dream girl. <laughs> she's actually really, like, charming and sees through the bullshit and cuts through it and is just trying to be honest. Like, cuts through the th- three days thing. It's like, my friends told me to wait three days, but whatever. Like, I like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked her. Uh, I was, uh, is she in anything notable before that movie? I don't know. This movie was 95, 96? 96. What is Boogie Nuts? 97? That's 97, so that's after. Mm. I can't remember anything. Maybe when she was in uh, something smaller, but this is probably her big introduction. Maybe when she was a beautiful baby. (laughs) When she was a (laughs) nasty little cute little baby. (laughs) (laughs) I also do like Ron Livingston in it, you know, from Outer Space. He's the... He's, he's like a normal guy from New York who comes down there and it's like, yeah. this is all kind of bullshit. <laughs> and I like, uh, he's got the, the scene, he's on like the little chair and says like, you end up missing the pain, talking about the relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like some actual human characters talking to each other for a second. Yeah, yeah. And then Trent bursts in and is like, wah! <laughs> <laughs> I found all their relationships to be realistic because I think I've seen all those kinds of relationships. Mm-hmm. Even even Trent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed rewatching it. Probably won't touch it again for several years. But Yeah, until you want to dig up that time capsule that is, you know, the mid-90s. And, uh, and bowling shirts. And bowling shirts. <laughs> you want to yeah, Sue, some... Sue has some impressive bowling shirts. Between <laughs> hockey jerseys and bowling shirts. You know, I'm either watching a Kevin Smith movie or I'm watching Swingers. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> Heather Graham was uncredited in Twins. Oh. <laughs> she was in two episodes of Growing Pains. She was in Drugstore Cowboy, which I, I hear people like. That's that like an early Gus Van Zandt. Mm-hmm. Matt Dillon. Uh, she was in six episodes of Twin Peaks. Oh, it must have been the second season. I was about to say, it must have been after Bob. Yeah. Yeah, there's other stuff. Six Degrees of Separation. She's, she was in stuff. Okay. I got you. Hmm. Heather Graham. Yeah. She, she, she actually worked a lot in early 90s. Whatever. Probably small roles, but good for her. Putting in work. Yeah. All right. End to swingers. Yeah. Cool. We'll see it again in 10 years. <laughs> what, is there, is there like a, is there like an 80s version of swingers that makes you feel so 80s and the characters all live and breathe that time period and same with like the 2000s? Ooh. I know for like uh, 50s, it's probably like American Graffiti mm-hmm. looking at that culture, but it wasn't really in the time period that it was made. Right. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think I think American Graffiti is actually sixties, maybe because I think it's set in the sixties. Yeah, it's set in the because it's uh, the the tagline is "Where were you in '62?" Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and it, was, uh, it came out in the early seventies. Yeah, like I I don't have the you know, interesting question. The cultural reference, like, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High like a good representation of like the seventies, or is it just like an absolute caricature? You know, we could probably speak much better to the aughts. Yeah, I would imagine that Dazed and Confused is a pretty good 70s movie. Mm-hmm. But and then again, it's made in the 90s. Interesting thing is, oh, you know, time capsule element, where it's made at the time to capture something, like a cultural flashpoint, like Jitterbuggin. <laughs> well, it could and, be Fast Times, then, because that was made in 83, I think. That's, that's, that's pretty good, especially for a high school experience. Like, Swingers is only the L.A. male Hollywood experience, kind of mm-hmm. distilled for a high school 80s, that's probably pretty good. Or Valley Girl or something like that. Yeah. John Hughes. Yeah, so I was thinking John Hughes for 80s, but, you know, those those all seem so twee that I don't know. Those are actually a little timeless because I don't think they're that uh, relevant or that related to the pop culture of the time. Uh, yeah. I also think they're so, they're so deliberately written to represent everybody. Mm-hmm. Like, Breakfast Club is... It's it's a roll call of like here are all here's a representative from each high school clique. So I don't know. I think feel like it cheats a little. As for the aughts, I don't even know what I would pick because it's hard to even. I don't even think of the aughts as having like a like a. You think of the '90s and you think of specific things. Mm-hmm. Whereas the aughts, I just don't think of anything specific. I don't feel like it has a, a fashion that I that I remember. Yeah. Yeah, 80s, 90s, and I think just the way society was, you had easier to get to a monoculture where everyone was kind of talking about the same thing and doing the same thing. I feel like, like you're saying, the aughts, there's just, you know, what part of a culture in a year would it typify? Yeah, yeah, and you know, if the three of us got together and decided on one movie from the aughts, we'd pick like, you know, a, a movie that is symbolic to, you know, growing up as like a white dude in the 2000s, and it's not going to represent lots of other people's upbringings in the 2000s, but I'm, I'm just curious if there's something that, like, obviously Swingers is blind to everything else other than these two privileged dudes living their life in L.A., you know, trying to make it. Yeah, I think it's as much a L.A. movie as it is a 90s movie. Like, yeah. It also fits into that, like, like movies that are just very L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a big character, I feel like, in the movie. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean to drive us off the tracks when we were about to close the door on Swingers, but maybe we'll talk about it some other week. No, I think that's a, that's a great question. Apparently there's also a 2002 film called Swingers. <laughs> and it is five minutes long. <laughs> also made in California. <laughs> stars some guy named, like, Dane Cross. <laughs> Dirk Bentley. <laughs> Not Dirk Bentley. <laughs> Swingers is a Dutch feature film released in 2002 and tells the story of a 30-something couple, Diana and Julian, and their experiment in swinging. So, there you go. <laughs> so, Big Bad Voodoo Daddies? <laughs> the, the biggest theater chain in uh, the Netherlands refused to show it on grounds of alleged pornography. Huh. huh. Interesting. The more you know. <laughs> okay. All right, let's... Do- do we want to move on to what we've been watching, what we've been playing? Sure. We'll yeah. do what we've been watching. I think uh, for a couple of us, it may be a little bit light. Again, after the uh, all of us, yeah. Oscar purge, we're kind of taking it easy a little bit. I can start off. I've really only seen one thing, and then, but I saw All About Eve last night. Yeah, the 1950, not to talk about Oscar, but it won Best Picture in 1950. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an old classic that you hear more in statistics, like 
you know, the most nominations ever is All About Eve, Titanic, and La La Land now. So, you know, I, I like to go back and watch some of the old movies. Sometimes it can feel like homework. Mm-hmm. Going back to these old movies, like, ugh, I, I finally got to see it. But the movie was really, really good. Really delightful and super modern and exciting. You know, something that definitely can happen. They can have good movies back then. I just expect some old movies to be homework, especially the ones that are considered you know, high art at the time. Amazing performances, like one of the best writing of dialogue, screenplay. Just snappy and smart and cutting and cynical and satirical and funny. And, and I might be misremembering because it's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, and I think at the time I was kind of just plowing through a bunch of old classics. So mm-hmm. uh, I hope I'm remembering the right movie. Is Marilyn Monroe really funny in All About Eve? She's in. She basically has one scene, and I think she has maybe a couple lines. She's got one quote that's semi-famous in it, but yeah. she's, she's not in a lot of the movie. Okay, I, L- I remember her like being in it. Two that's... minutes of screen time, I think. Yeah, it was one of her. I think first big things being in though. She's definitely you know blonde and a Marilyn Monroe type in it. Yeah, but it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, my wife and I watched it last night, and yeah, it's really ahead of its time. Very cynical. It has like four different narrators that like shift back and forth. So if you want to get into it, it's like a 1950s Game of Thrones. <laughs> In summation, 1950s Game of Thrones. And Betty Davis is Drogon. <laughs> <laughs> and then playing, I'll just do a quick thing that I'm, I am still playing Fallout New Vegas. I was playing it before we started recording. And it's just fun. I keep getting over encumbered with uh, with quests when I get to a place. Yeah, I love. I-, I can't not talk to every single person and gather all of the quests and then have them hoarded, and then get yeah. anxious about. I need to start knocking these out. And when I knock one out, I go to a place to execute it and have even more quests. Mm-hmm. I think I've got like eighteen active quests. Nice. So that's my cross to bear. I'll get through it. <laughs> cool. All right, how about uh, Chris? Okay. What's been watching? Uh, I thought this was going to be a movie I'd seen before, but I remembered I went to the theaters recently. Ooh. Um, but I'll save that one. So Kelly recently bought the first season of ER Oh. on Amazon Prime, so I think that we are going to be watching that. She's probably going to blaze past me. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen ER. I've really never seen a single episode of it. So I'm excited. You know, it's got a lot of the real tropey stuff. Um, with medical dramas, but I had no idea that the series started with Juliana Margulies's like with a suicide attempt <laughs> as the head charge nurse. Yeah, I didn't know that. The, the second episode of it, she comes back, and man, does she have some dark suicide jokes, wow. and they are really funny. Uh, I'm I'm just surprised that a show that you know I don't want to oversell like edginess of this you know medical drama, but like her character just nails it. And I'm a big Juliana Margulies fan. I've watched all of The Good Wife. I, you know, want to find a way to watch The Good Fight, which is the Good Wife mm-hmm. extension show. But yeah, so far I'm enjoying ER. Um, yeah, I think at the time it was like uh, revolutionary as far as a hospital show. Yeah. Where they used to be just little soap operas. And I think that one was like a uh, gritty version Written by some actual doctors. I think Michael Crichton helped create that show. Yes, he did. And he has a medical background. And it's kind of like the Scrubs intro, the, you know, the the intro theme and like where it just like follows them through like the different parts of the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like every episode has like 20 of those shots where it's like character in, character out, you know, like these constant conversations like moving. I'm, I'm enjoying it. 
Um, we're not that not that far into it, and I'll you know report back when this first season's over. You know, you were talking about you didn't want to oversell how edgy it was, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I, I kind of define edgy differently for uh, like cable shows versus network shows. Yeah, and I, f- I feel like you just a little bit of edginess is more impressive when it's a show that was on what NBC. Yeah, for years. So like they can't do what Showtime gets to do. Yeah. So, oh, oh. Yeah, the hurdle to be able to actually get stuff like that approved and get it through mm-hmm. is so high that its degree of difficulty for pulling that stuff off is yeah always impressive. Although oddly, when you uh, when you think about how I don't know, I, you I hear that more stuff is allowed on TV now than it used to be, but then you go back and you watch early episodes of Saturday Night Live in the seventies, and like uh, Chevy Chase's Weekend Update jokes are filthy, like mm-hmm. like. Some of those jokes would not pass today's standards and practices. Yeah. In in ER, not only are they joking about Juliana Margulies's suicide attempt, but you know one of the characters, one of the main doctors, is getting a blowjob from his wife who just passed the bar and hits like the emergency button in one of the bathrooms. Very clearly shows that, like his pants are down, and she like stands up into frame, like wiping her lips off with her mouth. Wow. There's like other scenes where Noah Wiley with his like first uh, one of his like clinical visits. This girl's got her dress hiked all the way up, and you see, like, lots of side butt, and he's, like, inspecting a rash she has on her butt cheek. I don't know. It's It, it feels edgy for primetime. Yeah. For primetime network TV. Yeah. Especially, when, when did it start? Like, early 90s, right? 94, yeah. maybe? I mean, George Clooney, we were watching it, and Kelly was like, I thought George Clooney was always salt and pepper, because that's how I have always thought of him. And he's got, like, you know, a little bit of gray in his sideburns, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then other than that, he's got a full head of dark brown hair. But yeah, that's ER. I'll talk about it later. People have seen ER. This is not breaking ground. But I feel like people in this room haven't seen a lot of ER. So I'll talk about it as I get excited about it. I would... All the ER I've ever seen were when I could not find the remote after watching Seinfeld and Friends. <laughs> when I was growing up. Other than that, I, I'm a, I watched again uh, X-Men Apocalypse. Age of Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. I'm an Age of Apocalypse apologist. I think that movie is better than people give it credit for. Yes, it's cheesy. The Cyclops actor is not the greatest in the world. And Oscar Isaac and the enemy of Apocalypse are kind of boring. But it's a fun X-Men movie. Quicksilver's really good in it. Beast is really good in it. And yeah, I, want... I mean, Apocalypse is kind of a silly character. Yeah. Like, even in the animated TV show or the comics, he's, he's never the most interesting person right someone who's just solely focused on destruction the interesting thing is like what the x-men do as a result right that was just the only the thing that disappointed me most about that was that oscar Isaac, you have like one of the most exciting actors in hollywood like right now yeah and he was just had nothing to do in that movie yeah that was the only thing that uh, but I, I did think it was an enjoyable movie. I thought it was entertaining. You could mm-hmm. just get Doug Jones, who does all of Guillermo del Toro's motion capture stuff. Yeah, or get Andy Serkis, like whatever. Yeah. Just get somebody to like fill that spot. It sounds like a ridiculous fucking statement. There should be dynamic acting in a character named Apocalypse, but <laughs> it's a movie. Like Maybe pick a better plot. True. There's lots of comic books to draw from. But I want to see it, because it just came to Netflix, right? Uh, we watched it on... Or HBO. HBO, or? yeah. HBO. I'm on HBO. A better plot than Apocalypse is Logan. Saw that in the theaters. Oh. Yeah. Logan is really good. I would recommend everyone go see it. Um, there's, it is, it, it's really great to see X-Men movies that have been constrained for so long by the PG-13 rating get to just have fun with the rated R. Mm, yeah. And like, Patrick Stewart 
swearing up a storm. <laughs> like, so uh, Stephen Merchant plays Caliban, and mm-hmm. Caliban is caring for Patrick Stewart. And, you know, one of the scenes where, where Logan goes to visit, <laughs> Patrick Stewart is like, don't leave me with that fucking albino. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's fun. Uh, it's also really brutal because of the R rating. All the cutaway that you had with Wolverine, like, swiping his claws and people selling the hit. Like, no, they CGI those claws going through people's, like, the bottom of people's throats. And then you see the claws in their mouth and then they jut out the top of their head. It's uh, it's real gory. <clears throat> it's kind of like the thing we don't talk about with Wolverine. It's like he's such a beloved character with kids, but it is a brutal power that he has. Yeah, he's also supposed to be a rabid murder machine. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was created as a weapon, like quite literally, and he exercises himself as one. But it's really good. I don't want to talk a lot about it because I know that it is fairly recently in theaters, and I will get off my... Spoilers are fine. High horse for this. But I recommend everyone go see it. Um, but yeah, that's everything for me. Yeah, my list is fairly short. I've watched... Uh, uh, I was telling you guys before we started that I'm not going to continue to m- mention all the TV shows I'm watching. I'm, I'll mention when I start a new one, and then that's going to be it. But I, I don't want to talk about the three episodes of Archer that I watched <laughs> the last week and a half. Although Burt Reynolds was in one. That was pretty good. Ooh. Yeah. I did start a new TV show because uh, I think I reached completion point on another, or at least I caught, I caught up on the Americans, so okay. I, I guess I'll talk about that first. Uh, reached completion. <laughs> <laughs> Americans uh, season four, I thought it was the most enjoyable season so far. I, it's, I, I know it's easy to compare shows to Breaking Bad just when they're really good, and right. I hate that comparison, but it is similar in the way that I feel like each season is better than the one that preceded it, mm-hmm. and Breaking Bad was that way for me too. Definitely agree. Uh, the Americans is a show that if you if you stick with it, I think you'll, it'll it'll pay off and it'll pay off more and more as you watch it. It's uh, the fourth season was really good. I uh, just thought they built the tension really well in the fourth season, so I'm excited. I know the new season just started. I haven't watched. I haven't started watching it yet, but I'm I'm excited too. I also watched uh, I watched the first uh, just the pilot episode of the Burning Mac show. So okay, uh, yep. Which uh, I didn't know that was uh, created and written by Larry Wilmore. Huh. huh. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of excited to watch more of that because I, I like his humor and yeah. I'm interested to see what he does with that. I thought it was a shame that Larry Wilmore's show was only on for as long as it was. Yeah, but to be fair, I never watched it. Well, Did you actually watch it? Yeah, I watched a few episodes. It was fine. I watch about as much of that as I do of you know Trevor Noah's turn at the Daily Show. Sure, which is like I'll catch you know like maybe like one episode a week. I'm yeah. not the most devoted, but you know I recognize that it was good. Yeah, I guess that's it for TV. Oh yeah, I watched one movie and uh, I split it up over over two parts. One like a week and a half ago, and then I finished it last night. But uh, just rewatch There Will Be Blood, and it's really good. Man, that's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Like that is just I, I feel like enter that into any Oscar race almost, except for No Country for Old Men. Yeah, and, just went up against a juggernaut. Yeah, and it and it just like it, it might have been a runaway. Best picture this year or last year. It was like one of the best acting performances of all time. That yeah. guy is uh, uh, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview. Oh, I thought you were talking about Daniel Day Lewis. Like, yeah, David. It's, <laughs> his name is Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. What does he go by? Uh, Danny, Dan, and that uh, director goes by Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Paul. No. But I see, yeah, one of the great, greatest acting performances ever. And it's, uh, 
one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. Some of it's violent, there's crude oil and the bleakness of the the rocky terrain and stuff, but it's gorgeous. It's a movie that really yeah, just watch you, you watch it and you just want to read about it more after yeah. you get done watching. You just want to. I, I, I think I spent forty minutes reading essays that I found on. Yeah, I think it also has like a really great underappreciated supporting cast out of Paul Dano. Oh, he's fantastic. Is Haley Steinfeld's in that right? No, no, I'm thinking of something else. True Grit, True Maybe. Grit. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, but yeah, Paul Dano is great in it. I don't know that I've ever seen two actors being as good on screen together as Paul Dano and Daniel Day-Lewis in the church scene when mm-hmm. it's the, you know, I've abandoned my child, that mm-hmm. scene. It's so incredible. Mm-hmm. Just both of them. And it's, it's, uh, it requires that because it's, uh, it's about the two of them. They're basically the same person. They mm-hmm. both just crave power and they find it in different ways. One yeah. through religion and one through money. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's a theme that it's, you know, representative of America in that way, of capitalism versus religion. Yeah, for the soul of America, kind of. Yeah, mm-hmm. whereas in the wrong hands, they're both potentially evil. But yeah, it was just, uh, I don't know, that's just one of those scenes that's, I'd forgotten how incredible that scene is until I watched it. So yeah, that's a movie I'm going to have to watch more often. Just also Johnny Greenwood's score, like you said, was... Just incredible. Yeah, I forget how. I just it's kind of all flooding back to me now. How many great Daniel Day Lewis yelling moments there are in that? And it got played to death. The I drink your milkshake. Yeah, but that bowling hall scene is so intense. Yeah, and this like long analogy from him about you know like land rights, and then at the end him just screaming at Paul Dan like I drink your milkshake. It's, it's just like really it's the drainage. That's when it yeah. like explodes. He's he's held it in. He's held it in that whole scene. Yeah. And then Paul Dano just doesn't get why he doesn't need this tract of land. Yeah. And he said, "No, but if I could just get some money," and he interrupts him with drainage, <laughs> yeah. drainage, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I love that scene too. But uh, I was I was thinking last night it was uh, there's there's one quote in the movie that I just I cracked up. At, in the theater, and I still laugh at it. And it's when he's talking with uh, his, you know, team of guys that, mm-hmm. that are loyal to mm-hmm. him. And he's uh, the one of them is he's missing that one tract of land, and it's it's earlier. And he's just he's got everything else from where they are to the coast, except for this one tract of land. And uh, his his friend, uh, this guy named Al in the movie, uh, suggests that he's like, well, why don't we just build around it? Because they're building the pipeline. Yeah. Because why don't we just build around it? And uh, Plainview gives him the, the most you dumb fuck look <laughs> and then and then he goes it is i love this guy don't be thick in front of me al <laughs> and i love that line so much it's just it's it sums up him he's just it, from the beginning of the movie it's just he feels like he's surrounded by imbeciles yeah and he just has to it's just him putting up with idiots he's mm-hmm. got to suffer like the world and like <laughs> paul dano is king idiot to yes. him yeah and he realizes that he, the people like Paul Dano. Yeah. And that drives him crazy. Yeah. It's also possible that he sees the same kind of ambition in Paul Dano, but he just, like, doesn't quite get it. He picked mm-hmm. the wrong path. Yeah. Part of the, why he really goes after Paul Dano. Yeah. He doesn't attack everyone's character like he does, was it Eli Sunday or... Yeah. Eli Sunday's character. Maybe hits home because he sees himself in it and it's like, no, you, you didn't do it. <laughs> wrong. Oh, and that scene where he tells him he can he can bless the uh, 
when, when they're when they're starting the drill, and he <laughs> he, he invites Paul Dana says uh, or Eli Sunday says I'd like to say a prayer before the the drill starts, and he says yeah that would be fine come on down and uh, he gets him up there next to him and then Plainview just talks the whole time and says start the drill and <laughs> cuts cuts his legs out from under him and he doesn't get, and he just has to like awkwardly walk away Sunday nuts and it's. <laughs> Man, that's it's it's a great great movie about just two kind of horrible forces just mm-hmm. opposing each other, just smashing into each other over and over. Yeah. Anyway, spent some time on that because it's all I watched. It's the only movie I watched. So uh, that's it. I was just you know played some Skyrim, and that's that's about that. Nice. Yeah. Any news in Skyrim? Potions are selling good right now. It's a, <laughs> it's a hot season for potion selling. <laughs> Markets responding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. I uncovered a shard of the Ethereum Forge, so I don't know what that is, but I'm I'm in the process of figuring out what that is. I just like as someone who keeps their ear to the ground with like video game releases and news, like the more you keep playing this open world game from 2011, and like the more new releases of open world games that are like supposed to be just fantastic, <laughs> and not that Skyrim wasn't, yeah, but. Horizon Zero Dawn, now like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild's out, and it's getting amazing reviews, and it's just like, Brent, what are you playing? Skyrim still? Yeah. You may have influenced me to start playing Fallout, which is from 2010. Um, yeah. You could play Fallout 4. <laughs> no, I don't have a system for it. Okay. But yeah. Maybe, maybe I'll replay Fallout 4 after I'm done with Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what I've been, that's what I've been watching and playing. Uh, I did play the next game in the 8-bit Halfwit series, and uh, the only teaser I'll give you is that I completed the game in 22 minutes. Oh. On nice. all levels of difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> so, a faster pickup than Clue Land. It's a rather short game. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it retailed at what it would have retailed in the States at. Because what, what were NES cartridges then? Like 90 bucks? Yeah, I think at least 70 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you're a ripoff if you pay almost $100 or like over $50 for a game and it's like com- like 100% completion. If it were released today, you'd get like all trophies for 22 minutes of <laughs> gameplay. So, yeah, wow. ex- expect, a, expect a new article on that game and uh, I'm going to keep it secret for now, but... Uh, it should be a fairly quick read, the article. <laughs> Just think about playing this, it's like $3 a minute. Almost. <laughs> it's yeah. like, dang. So then, David, you and I have both live in this stinky, moldy well that is MTV reality shows. Uh, um, we, I was wondering where you were going to go with that. With that <laughs> moldy, stinky wells. <laughs> we don't go as far. I mean, we do watch Catfish, but that's less exciting to talk about. Or maybe just myself and your wife watch Catfish. I don't know if you abstain from it. No, I watch it too. Okay. We don't do the Teen Mom stuff, but Real World. Yep. Which is not on right now, so we will, you know, we won't talk about that. But abstain. The Challenge. Yes. Champions versus Underdogs. Yes. Stranded with a Million Dollars. Yes. And the movie. And Are You the One. Yeah. Do you want to start with The Challenge? Sure. They finally brought The Champions. I know. Yeah, they're the interesting format. Yeah, Underdogs and uh, The Champs. And you had to fight for your spot into the mansion house where everybody parties and drinks. Yeah. You know, it was a little bit of a slog early on. You want everyone to be in the mansion house because part of the fun is in that show is the the politics and the, you know, the human uh, soap opera of 
people getting drunk and crying and trying to fight. Yeah. I'm not above it. I like that part. Yeah. It's like, come on, get to the drama house. <laughs> yeah. I'm pleased. Oh, I'm, I'm, it's, I think it's still pretty slow now. The, the teasers, I think, are selling the best episodes are to come. Because yeah. the, the biggest drama-filled moment of the show so far has been that one of the cast members pissed the bed when they were really drunk. <laughs> And so the guy that, was, that, that she was like hooking, a solid twenty minutes. Oh man! And the guy that she was hooking up with was like, "That sucks. You're gross. I don't want to sleep with you anymore." And she reacted to that in a way that was predictable. And she just peed some more. <laughs> <laughs> she seemed stunned that anyone could just possibly lashing not, out. Yeah, <laughs> just just couldn't believe that someone doesn't want to be with a bedwetter at. 25, 26 years old. Yeah, she completely missed the point, though. It's not that, like, pee is gross. It's that you got so drunk that you pissed yourself and don't remember it. Yeah. And he's like, I'm trying to win, uh, I forget what the price total is, but I don't know, $300,000. Yeah. Or something like that. Like, I don't need to be worrying about your drama. Yeah. And she's like, he hates pee! And then starts crying. <laughs> what? I don't remember that particular line. Well, I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. But it's also the most annoying cast member from real recent real world. Yeah. Kayla just, that it happened with. Yeah. Just super entitled, like barely 20. I've always gotten everything. She even says at one point, I always get whatever I want. And so I'm just going to put myself out there and I'm going to get it. And he's not going to say no. Yeah. And it's like, man, that sounds super rapey. Um <laughs> But, yeah, she sucks. She's gone, which is great. I think we're bearing the lead, though, because this is the big return of CT. But he hasn't done anything. He's, like, he's there. Yeah. It's like a sleeping giant right now. No, no one has poked the bear yet. The giant bear in that metaphor. <laughs> I feel like, so CT was, was a guy, if you're not familiar with any of the challenge or road rule road rules versus real world. Um, That's a tough one. <laughs> you know, CT was a guy who was just, like, a physical presence and could just, if it was like a human body versus human body, he'd come out on top every time. There was one famous challenge. It was an elimination. And he literally wore another person who was wrestling with him as a backpack. And just like, they you know. Attached at the back and they had to like fight to go to one end of it. And instead of like grappling on the ground, he straight like gets him on his back and just strong legs himself over to the side. And the guy's like, ah! Like dangling <laughs> feet and stuff. Just hanging up in the air. Yeah, so this, this manimal has been... It's been the constant threat that he'd come on the show and just break people's faces off. But he's like, he's so calm and demure. There, and, he's wearing glasses and he's softened. And he keeps talking about his baby and it's so cute. It's like, it's this Chris Jr. CJ. I call him Fat Face Little Buddha. <laughs> it's like, oh, you adorable monster. <laughs> I don't want to use his name. I call him anything but his name. But I think they're setting it up for him to go home early. I think they're setting up so that he's like, I, this isn't worth it. I don't want to be in a challenge. My my son is at home. I want to go be with my son. Like, see you guys. Peace. That's possible. And the other thing that's kind of hasn't really... Chekhov's gun hasn't gone off yet is Johnny Bananas right. being back. Yep. He's the big uh, Machiavelli of, of the challenge. <laughs> he, he's won six challenges, and he's been on 14 of them. He's been a top three finalist in including his six wins in like nine. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, <laughs> you're really amused by calling Johnny Bananas Machiavellian. That's it. Yes, <laughs> I just love that, that the Machiavellian person on the show is Johnny Bananas. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it gives me so much joy. The best thing about Johnny Bananas is like 
So the reason why they started calling him Banana is because there was another cast member on called uh, Johnny Riley. And people just called him Johnny. And so then they called Johnny Bananas just Bananas. Bananas is not his middle name. Even though that sounds like I framed it. <laughs> but there were other Johns, so he was like, I'll go by Bananas or something. I don't even actually know how it started. Jonathan Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> but there is not a single other cast member who has a nickname. <laughs> it's like... Laurel, Cara Maria, Corey, Sylvia, Kayla, Bananas, Tony. <laughs> Tony. <laughs> and their names are all in like their helmets and their shirts. It's Tony, Maria, like a, yeah. you know, all that stuff. And Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> TJ Lavin is still uh, a mound of a human. <laughs> he was really excited about the, the Tuck Tuck Boom Boom to be able to say that. Because yeah, yeah. they, they have stupid names for the elimination. And this one was, it had a Tuck Tuck, which is a three-wheel little like automotive automated, you know, cart thing for mm-hmm. traveling around Thailand. Um, <laughs> and DJ Lavin is like, this challenge is called Tuk Tuk Boom Boom. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I think he's still pretty great. I yeah. did like how he, he uh, talked to Theo after Theo. Quit? He quit. It was a huge uh, heights challenge thing. If you're afraid of heights, you're like mm-hmm. up three miles in this craggy rock face. And you got to just like leap down mm. while grabbing... You always got to do something. You grab mm-hmm. some balls and hold on to them. <laughs> Just the way he was lowered. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah. They lowered him from his his like little uh, platform where he was standing. And everyone else is down there. He's talking about, like, you guys made it on. You had a score of this. Meanwhile, in the background, he's just, like, slowly being lowered. <laughs> it's like, they could clearly make this another thing. But they are trying to humiliate They're this They're purposely guy. embarrassing him. And he's just sitting there slumped over in his harness, just like, what, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to jeopardize my life to win, like, a challenge. And he's like, all right, idiot. You know TJ Lavin hates quitters. Anyway, challenge over. Are you the one? Almost figured it out. Yes, this was the big week of, are these idiots going to keep messing this up? So, just right. quick aside, are you the one? 11 sets of men and women are strategically picked by the matchmakers... That they're perfect love matches for each other. And through the course of 11 weeks, they have to figure out their perfect pairs at the end of each episode. They check in to see if that's the perfect pair, and they get a number. They get a confirmation and a number of correct choices that they've made. Um, for the first eight weeks, nine weeks, mm-hmm. they've only had four out of the 11. You know, pretty static at four, maybe five. Right, pretty pretty average for Are You The One as far as it goes. Normally, they hover around four to two beams, mm-hmm. and then near the end, start like you know, ramping it up just because that's how numbers work. I realistically thought there, there's never been an episode I don't or a season where they have lost the money. Is that true? Right. There's never been a season where they haven't all matched up correctly. Yeah, that they do it by the end. But they finally got to nine this week. There, there is a twist, which I thought they may not actually win, is the truth booth where they can confirm whether they have a perfect match before the, uh, before the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, they can trade that in for money and not get that information. And they did that this week. Right. Which I thought is like, oh my gosh. I thought it was genius. I thought like now that they're, they're starting to methodically decide who the partners are out of necessity, mm-hmm. which I can get to in a second, then why not when you've got two people who, according to the way that they've broken down the numbers, cannot possibly be a match. Or if they are matched, then other people cannot possibly be matches. So it mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense for Tyranny and Jalen to be a match. Sure. <laughs> so why wouldn't you trade that money in? 
they were also put in a position where the people who won the challenge, who they could have picked for the truth booth, were one people which were confirmed to not be a match from the blackout, and a couple who like could have been a match technically. Why not just pick them, trade it in for the money, and then you know Ryan gets to be all excited when he gets to tell people that they you know counted down that they lost one week of the truth booth and they need to think with their hearts and not with strategy and then to think with strategy and not with their hearts. I hate that. I hate Ryan Devlin though. He's such a dick about it. It's yeah. like they'll have a week where they have four matches and it's let's say uh, control week. The previous week they had four matches. Yeah, they'll do a truth booth and he'll say really interesting. You guys lost half your money and you're still not taking advantage of this. The next week, where they take advantage of it, it's like, interesting, you still don't have all the matches, and you're sacrificing this vital information. Right. He's a, he's a computer program just to do the opposite side right. and be a white douchebag about it. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, he is, he's the troll force. Because... He's a human Zapka. <laughs> William Zapka. He's just because like, he's not human. Eh. <laughs> well, clearly. But so there's so the reason why they have to go with strategy now, and I think Ryan still hasn't figured it out with the way he's chastising them, yeah. is that there are people who have gone to the truth booth and are confirmed to not be a match, who refuse to be with anybody else. They don't care, and they'll they even give their you know like short interviews like I don't even care about the money anymore. I got on this show so I can find my true love. Like I found it. It's this person who the experts don't think is my true love. Which fine. I don't care. Your personal reasons for doing it, whatever. But then that forces people to play strategically. Mm -hmm. Because if then they aren't willing to sit with someone and then get to know them and then find out, you know, with whatever fucking factors they use for experts to find out true love, then you have to look at it as a numbers game. Yeah, because if you think about it game theory style, you have 22 investigators trying to figure out a puzzle. Right. If... You know, two couples are saying, we don't care about the match. Four of those investigators are taking themselves out. You have to strategize on their behalf. Not only that, but four of no them... are no longer getting data from that. Well, four of them... It's not just four. It's eight now. Yeah. Because you have two couples, and their perfect matches are somewhere else in the house. That's true. It's twice as bad, because... Right. Their match is also with someone that is not their match. Right. Because of that. And there's a bunch of bullshit drama about, like, you know, Catherine... Like, trying to flirt with these guys. And she's like, well, everyone tells me my perfect match is in this couple who refuses to break up even though they're not, like, a, uh, a matched pair. So, like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. It's like, I totally, aside from the fact that, you know, she was also the person who, like, <laughs> like gave, like, filleted a birthday boy in the first episode because it was his birthday. <laughs> you know? Like, like, sure, like, go, do whatever you want. Like, I don't care. I wonder if you could do that at Chili's or something. (laughs) (laughs) Happy, happy birthday. Happy, happy. I'm going to trade in the little lava cake (laughs) for something else. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it's, and it was interesting because every season there's someone who has to, it almost seems like a producer plant. Because every year someone takes the role of the strategist. Right. Two years ago it was Devin who's now... In the in the challenge type the family, yeah, he's kind of a masterminding it. I think last year was Morgan who did it. Yeah, I can't remember, but it happens. Morgan, the person who you thought was like the the show's biggest idiot. Yeah, yeah, he he totally figured it out. Yeah, he, he may have even done it with like beer bottles. It's like these two people. Yeah, for this and 
Yeah. And this this year it was, uh, you know, it's another unassuming. It's Derek who's just like... Derek and, and Cassandra. Derek yeah. and Cassandra together. Yeah. Kind of figuring it out. And I think they could have had every single match this week if at the last second, like one of the last picks, a girl's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm do not you, sold. Do you know who they are? Do you know who who the matches are? No. Nope. Before when this when the show starts, mm-hmm. the viewer does not. It know. does right. not tell you. So yeah. it's so it's 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 better than like it's not like the password, not like password. So it's it's fun to try and figure out who the matches are. Um, and also there is lots of study done on the the math of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like lots of papers online where people are publishing like the most efficient way. Like starting at day one for the cast to match themselves up and who should get thrown into the truth booth. There, there's a, a a table on Wikipedia that gets updated after every episode, where they where they show you know after every episode like the breakdown of like all right there's a four percent chance these people are a match and then like six percent this person seven percent that person but like thirty five percent this person yeah up until this episode most of the people were like at a twenty three percent match which yeah. was like the highest or maybe a thirty three percent there were a couple there were a couple above ninety but those were like the people who every time they had a beam of light they were sitting together so sure odds are they're a match the the, the probability table like takes it up to the next level of checking that out as kind of a you don't know who the matches are but that can help get you a clue. Right. So after the big swing, they went from five lights to nine this week because they started strategizing. So now nearly everybody is 100% except for, I think, three. Three, yeah. There's three a couples. there's a group of six people who could all interchange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll have each uh, male and each female has a 50-50 shot at one of the other and just even distribution between them. So I'm pretty sure they don't understand that. No. I, I'll admit, I don't understand. the. For- I've seen the, the formula they I've use. I've seen them. I don't know. Yeah. And it's an insane, like, John Nash on a windowpane type formula. <laughs> but at this point, I think they're going to have to do a guess at the end. Because I think they may do it again where they trade in a truth booth because they saw some success. So they may be sacrificing some data to help them kind of slam dunk the final. Well, it's also dumb because what's going to happen is someone's going to be like, I, I haven't gone on a date all season. I want to go on a date. And instead of throwing the game so that one of those three potential pairs can go into the truth booth so they can find the actual answer to the game and win $650,000, someone's going to go, I don't want to throw the game. I want to go on a, like, a date for half a day. And they're going to they're gonna blow it. They're, they're going to blow it. Yeah. What they need to do is raise the stakes like drastically for the next season and have nothing but bisexual people on there. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so that it's way harder to... I wondered about that. They're, yeah. They're all heteronormative couples. Yeah. Well, because in the past they did one where it was, it was kind of mean, but they had 11 guys and 10 women so that one woman had two perfect matches. And it's like, are they trying to get like a blur camera threesome? Like what... <laughs> Like, what what element does that add to, like, the difficulty of the game other than just, like, making life for these three people, like, awful compared to everybody else in that house? Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's pretty good for Are You The One. Yeah. It's a show that has, like, a... When I first heard about it, it's a brilliant concept. Yeah. It's sometimes not executed all that well as right. being entertaining, but you, you keep the logic puzzle of it in mind. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I wish that they, the, the, the challenges that make people eligible to go on dates either were more difficult, were more like dating game style challenges, or people either got to pick 
their pair, mm-hmm. so then they could already have figured out who their who they were going to go on a date with if they won the challenge, or the game was somehow deterministic and they knew that they were going to be able to choose through skill who their date was going to be. Because the last challenge where they they basically played shuffleboard <clears throat> and had this three by three grid set up. Three by three. I thought there's eleven. Yeah, oh, there's two perfect pairs that they were already yeah, on. That's right, they're already so a three by three grid of eyes, like just like a close up of their eye, and whoever got three pucks on the right eye, you went on a date with that person. But like they were so far away, and also it's such a close up, like macro shot of the eye. Mm. There's no way that anyone knew what they yeah. were shooting for. So it's that's how they got a not perfect match and someone who they didn't think was a match, like on the date. It needs to be less randomized. They yeah. do some things where it's like, you know, you're playing for this person and you do a, a skill thing. Yeah. It almost seems like fine. MTV's trying to save the million dollars at this point right. by throwing in random chance ones. Especially at the very end. Especially in the context of Ryan Devlin getting frustrated that they're either not playing with their hearts or they're not playing strategically enough. And then they throw in a random game. How could you do either of those things with a random game? Yeah. Like if if you're gonna play two different storylines as Ryan Devlin, you know Puppet Master Supreme, who finally told them to shut the fuck up when he was trying to talk, that was pretty awesome. Um, take take the random element out of it. It's already random that these idiots are like really dumb. Yeah, we cannot stress that part enough. <laughs> we can sit here and talk intellectually about are you the one, and we're like not the smartest people on the planet, but I guarantee we've got we got a leg up on the people who are in the house. I wonder how they keep track of it, if they can ask the producers for results. Because if I was there and drinking every day, it'd be hard to remember who was sitting with who week one. Well, each well, if you look at like the breakdown, each person has basically sat with only three different people, mm-hmm. depending like throughout the whole thing. So looking at 11 possible pairs, it's, it's difficult. But when you ask people, like, how many people have you sat with? And like, which weeks did you sit with them? You know, it's only one of three. Sure. Anyway, that's our either one. They're, Last they're one, screw it up, hopefully. Stranded with a million dollars. Yeah. Another high concept one. Very intellectually satisfying. Mm-hmm. And they just had news that uh, Stranded with a million dollars is going to be a pipeline into the challenge. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, which kind of ups the uh, interest in the characters potentially heading into the challenge. Right. You know, I started sizing up who could be on it. But basically, survive on this uh, shitty island for 40 days with no uh, no amenities mm-hmm. and anything costs you money. Pizza costs money, a tent, a pillow, sh- shoes cost money, everything. You gotta find your own food. I've been curious all season if like somebody who was like, I'm going to win a million dollars, I'm a ridiculous survivalist, if they can just take the sack of money and hide it, <laughs> and they can like <laughs> let everyone be, else die. Just be like, hey, MTV producers, like you want to try and like strong arm us into like buying a hamburger like we don't even have the option I took the option away from all the weak people they're going to eat the fish I catch or they're going to starve <laughs> or they're going to they all have different colored flare guns and if they don't then they can go on they can fire their flare in the air and MTV will come and pull them off the island they don't win any money it's like the cannon going off in the Hunger Games when you die yes <laughs> essentially yeah. I think actually in hindsight it's pretty Hunger Games influenced yeah yeah it is being out there surviving yeah I, I do wonder how much producer influence is in it, though. How much producer influence is in living day to day? Because they say that the whole thing is filmed by drones, which is a terrifying concept. This is why it needs the subtitle, Drone Island. Yeah. Right? But they clearly 
are shooting with more than drones. Like they'll have like those sweeping like helicopter shots or like you know crane shots or steady cam. Maybe it's just that anything close up is all drones. And they have long-distance cameras. Drones are loud, though. Like, there's no way that they're getting that. They have producers on the island who have mic'd those people up. Because mm-hmm. you can see their mic packs. Because drones have, like, a steady, like... Like, there's no way you're getting good audio. <laughs> Some person just, like, quietly sobbing. It's like, I didn't want it to be like this. While you're... <laughs> there's seven drones <laughs> circling them. Just a little, like... The sentinels are coming for you. <laughs> And these fucking drones. <laughs> Just like take one. It's interesting though. You got the people who are. You got two camps in it, which is the interesting part of the survivalists. Said like we need money left over when we get to the end, or else we're gonna split up like two hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And the people who are living lavishly, they got a tent. They they spent five thousand dollars on a pizza. They got a machete. They bought all this stuff. I don't know. It's just interesting. The, there's this weird logical fallacy, too, where the people who, if the majority vote for something to order it from the phone, mm-hmm. that the people who voted to use everybody's money for the tent are saying only the people who wanted the tent can use it, even though it's from the money, from the pooled money for every single person there. It makes no sense to me that the entitlement to that and ownership for the tent. I mean, it's, the ha- it's, it's Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Like that's the scenario they're building and you know, they've they've taken the conch from the people who didn't vote for the tent. So it's like you didn't want a tent, you don't have a tent, period. And since we're the majority and we wanted the tent, like you don't get to use it. Yeah. But they're they're logical I mean it's a logical fallacy to me. They really should just come out with we're the majority and we want to use it and we need to we need people to leave the show to split up you know, less people to split up the money. Mm-hmm. I don't know, it's interesting. Yeah. Brent, after a, a master class of the shows that we were watching out, do you have any questions about the challenge, Are You the One, or Stranded with a Million Dollars? Yeah, did you guys watch the first episode of Survivor <laughs> this week? <laughs> no, but I probably should. Yeah, it was, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I forgot I watched the first season, or the first episode of Survivor. <laughs> so, that, all this talk reminded me of that, obviously. Yeah, I feel like I keep like asking uh, Allison, should we be watching Survivor? Just kind of putting it out there. I never want a reality choice to be mine. <laughs> Just trying to say, you know that you know this is starting. <laughs> uh, but no, that was enjoyable. I like listening to that. Is it um is is this season Survivor like an irritating concept or is it just you kind of never know how the concepts are going to play until you see them in action? I think the worst was uh, when they split them up by race. <laughs> Oh, what? What? Yeah, that was years ago. Wait, Survivor race war? <laughs> it was like black people against white people against Asians against Latinos. That <laughs> actually happened? You, How did it wait, like, get I shut down? Hang on, I need to make sure this wasn't a Chappelle show sketch. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, I want to make sure I'm actually remembering this. Uh, that is wild. I, I asked about the concepts because... Last year's Gen X vs. Millennial was so cringy. It's like that stupid Joel McHale show where he's, you know, he's the outdoorsy type working at an REI, basically. And there's all these young employees who are like, how did you live life without a cell phone? And he's like, well, we used to send smoke signals. You know, anyone who divides the world into Millennials and Gen Xers is just like fucking ignorant. And they're 50 years old. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, the last season, the Millennials and yeah. Gen Xers? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I was looking at this. I wasn't paying attention. Um, yeah, the, also the difference between them, too. Uh, they had a... They had a millennial that was 31 and a Gen Xer that was 33. <laughs> so it was, it was not a big difference. No, they, they tended to get along. I think there were a few people in both camps that were just not cut out for the social game that, like, there was a Gen Xer who's like, these millennials don't know how to work. Yeah. And there's a millennial who's like, Gen Xers are just stuffy old people. Yeah. And then everybody else, uh, those people got voted out very quickly. Yeah, and everyone else was like, let's work together. Yeah. Until we don't have to work together. So, yeah, pre- this premiered in 2006, Survivor Cook Islands. Uh, the contestants were divided into four tribes by ethnicity. <laughs> African American, Asian American, Hispanic American, and European American. Oh my gosh. How did this, how did this, uh, this not get shut down? <laughs> yeah, uh... Oh, that's right. I remember this guy. Yeah. Uh, this is the season where uh, one Asian man just uh, somehow got all his, uh, the other Asian contestants to just back him the whole way. Mm-hmm. And he just pretty much dominated the entire game because no one from his own alliance ever thought to try to take him down. And mm-hmm. he just, he controlled the entire game. It was one of the most boring seasons, honestly, uh, because... There was never any resistance. It was like he was there to win, and they were there to help him. And it was really weird that three or four contestants just made no mm. effort to, and the to re- try to beat him. And the rest of the ethnicities, <laughs> they were infighting. They're like, well, yeah, they're all trying to win. Yeah, like voting out strongest kind of thing before a merger. Yeah, stuff, stuff like that that happens. I really don't want to talk about this because people could, could get it, take it out of context. So it's like. So did the blacks work as hard at the challenges? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I mean, there. I don't know. Survivors is just. I mean, the whole thing is just an odd series of social experiments. So yeah. it's. It, I, I kind of like the boldness of just going for it, even though because you know there were dozens of people who said. This is a horrible idea. Yeah. We can't do this. And then they just did it. In a, in a conference room full of 30 executives, you knew that 14 of them raised their hands and went, I am not signing off on this. <laughs> but 16 went, no. Let's, yeah. let's just do it. I think maybe <laughs> right. ratings might have been wavering at the time. I like to think the, the conference, like the first five minutes, like they, they like just read what it was about and they all just like arched eyebrows at each other. Like, oh. <laughs> well. <laughs> We'll uh, see. <laughs> everyone just goes like... Mm. It was just an entirely non-verbal meeting. Yeah, it's just like... Mm. <laughs> just, just, just grunts to those meeting minutes are never recorded. Yeah, I think legally it's it was a good, good, good call. There's lots of... Lots of... I mean, I think they... Like, I mean, like, I mean... Yeah. Could we? <laughs> That's the end of the meeting. I almost want to watch that season also to see, like, who they cast. Because that cast, more than ever, they would be on the hook for, like, we cannot cast a single stereotype if we're going to already be splitting them by ethnicity. <laughs> like, if we do that, then, like, I, I don't like know. Like, the, the black person can't be sassy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the black woman cannot be sassy whatsoever. <laughs> We need casting that. call for Asians bad at math because <laughs> we're so scared of stereotypes <laughs> being on our sh- being on our show. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a uh, I don't know. I like Survivor. I've, I'm oh. I'm a Survivor apologist. I, I want to get watch. back into it. I saw it back in the day. Yeah, with uh, mom was her mom was into it. Yeah, and seeing 
seeing it through that. You know, it's it's, it's fun. It's it's. I like uh, looking at it from each character character each person's perspective. And thinking, are they doing what's right for them in the show? Right. There are obvious people I want to, I, I root for, I guess, from season to season. This year is, it's a, it's a season, they haven't done this in a couple of years, where they've brought back old contestants. Oh, right. So this is a season where they've, it's a bunch of old people and who have uh, played the game before and they've, uh, the common thread is they were all people who, when they previously played the game, they, uh, it's called Game Changers this mm-hmm. season and it's all about people who made big key decisions to okay. change the way people play the game. Oh, so it's awesome. sort of movers and shakers yeah. and whatnot. The, the only the only two-time winner is back for this season. Richard Hatch? No. Boston Rob? No, it's a, it's a woman named Sandra. Was she the one who said that she wouldn't piss on that person if they were on fire in the desert? No. no. Okay. I forget who that was, but I remember that being like an that's iconic really, survivor yeah, moment. Yeah, that's first, first ever that like final Jerry? tribal. That, okay. No, her name was uh, Sue. She was a truck driver from Minnesota. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> survivor is such a pure reality game show that like... It is a little silly for us to be watching The Challenge, which came out around the same time. The, the Genesis is around the same time as Survivor. But then that morphs into Are You the One, which is this, like, you know, one step removed from Survivor. And then Stranded on an Island with a Million Dollars, which is Survivor. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's like 14 pure. steps closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious. Isn't this, like, one of the last seasons, didn't they say that? Oh, I don't know. I feel like it's still going strong. It's it's the thirty fifth season. I feel like this is like like the silent majority is I watching hate, Survivor still. Can I just say I hate when they do that? Like the multiple seasons a year. It's the yeah. same thing with like Bachelorette. Like thirty seasons. It's like this was not happening in the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I instantly think of the first Survivor who was in the Falkland Islands in eighty six. I do like that America's Next Top Model gets around that by calling them cycles instead of mm-hmm. seasons. Yeah, because um, there's been like. Like thirty something cycles of America's Next Top Model. Sure, you were asking about uh, Survivor concepts, mm-hmm. and some of them have been interesting. They've had uh, Blood versus Water, which is where you have to play with family members, yeah, or loved ones. Yeah, the challenge ripped that off. Or amphibians? What's the water part? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you gotta either play with family members or these divers. <laughs> Blood versus Water. Uh, they they did. Uh, Oh man! Now all I can think about is is like someone pairing up with a diver, <laughs> <laughs> like a full scuba suit. Yes, that's a, you never see their face <laughs> flopping on the mainland. It's like the old school where it's got like the crisscross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually just people in different eras of diving suits. Like someone, <laughs> someone's got the diving bell. <laughs> yeah. So someone's just in a bathosphere the whole time. <sighs> Yeah. And one of the contestants is a dolphin. <laughs> is the dolphin going to make it? <laughs> Come on, Echo. <laughs> it's one of those challenges where they have to stand on a post for like, as long as they can. It's like, well, the dolphin played a strong game, but... The dolphin found the hidden immunity idol. <laughs> uh, one of the seasons I liked was they... Uh, they s- they, they had done the bring back old cast members before, and yeah. uh, they kind of alternated, but this uh, one season they did half and half, where it was a tribe of brand new people playing mm-hmm. against grizzled veterans of Survivor, yeah. and <laughs> it, it's fun to see their reaction when they, they arrive and they're looking at their tribe mates and yeah. like, uh, new people, and then in comes like, all the people they watched on TV for years. So like now you most of the people on there are people who have watched Survivor for 
mm-hmm. a decade or more. I yeah, I thought it was incredible. I was watching, you know, on Showtime they'll have like Big Brother After Dark or whatever, and it's just like they keep the cameras rolling for this like four hour segment just so Showtime can pad out its like Showtime Extreme channel. Like the knowledge that these perpetual reality TV contestants have of their particular show mm-hmm. is incredible. Yeah. Like the way that, and I don't know if this is true about most game shows, but I would almost imagine that people would do research before going, or at least people who are good at the game would, is they really do break it down to game theory, and they talk about they talk about previous seasons with an encyclopedic knowledge that's like David, your Oscar talk. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's incredible that they like devote that work to it. So it wouldn't surprise me that like like on Underdogs vs Champions on the, on the challenge and like on Blood in the Water, what's this one called? Uh, Game Changers. Game Changers. Where like people will watch these other people walk in and they're not just thinking like, oh, he's a good competitor, but it's like I know exactly why they're here. I know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are. Yeah, yeah. I know like what is important to them to use as leverage for a turn, like yeah. for an alliance. In, kind in of fact, thing. one of the guys who's on the season of Survivor, his name is Ozzy, and he's. Probably the most uh, famous on the show for just being probably the best like swimmer and just pure athlete the mm-hmm. show's ever had. Mm-hmm. And so one of the first things, on, uh, they're out on a boat to start the season mm-hmm. and uh, Jeff Probst says, okay, so there's a bonus, there's a 50 yards out underwater, there's uh, whoever can release their this like balloon underwater or whatever mm-hmm. will we'll get this like awesome fishing gear mm-hmm. Ozzy jumps in the water and the other team doesn't even try for it because they all know who he is and yeah. it's like we can't beat him he's yeah. he's such a good swimmer conserve energy and and you're also talking about how like these people all know how to play the game by now mm-hmm. and so the producers have actually introduced a new rule for the season because it, it does kind of make it less fun when you have a group of I don't know eight against two let's mm-hmm. say and the group of eight says well, somebody might have a hidden immunity idol, so let's split the vote. Four, four, two. Right. So that if one of the the one we really want to go home, you know, doesn't, or they, they play a hidden immunity idol, this way we're not caught in the backlash. So the new rule for this season is tie votes are now, there's no, they, they used to re-vote after a tie. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's no re-vote, and the people who did not receive votes have to draw rocks, and one of them goes home. So oh. the voting, the people who voted into the tie are the, one of them has to go home from now on. So it's to it's kind of, of break that wheel of, yeah. of just, and it is good, it is smart gameplay to split your votes when yeah. you have them. It, but, uh, you know, flushes out the, the idol. It, yeah. it especially puts yourself in an interesting position where if you do have an 8-2, then it is strategically beneficial for the strong people in the 8-person alliance to vote one of their own out. Yeah. And vote one of your own out and hope that doesn't fracture your alliance to then con- then eliminate the other two so you never have a tie. Mm-hmm. So it's it's more interesting this way that they've they've killed that that good move of yeah. of flushing out idols, but it's more fun for the viewer to uh, to have havoc come into play mm-hmm. more, which will be fun. Yeah, I think I'm I think I got you're you're selling me on it. I want to get back into it. I think the thing that TJ I, watches it too. I think the thing that oh. I that, that I liked the least about Survivor was I always feel like in reality shows because they do you know bumper lead ins and lead outs that the commercial breaks just seem incessant. Mm-hmm. But now that like but that was I think I watched the first three seasons of Survivor live and then that's yeah. it. But then now in the, at the advent of DVR, I can just like. 
you know, blaze past all those Crest commercials and just even fast forward through the like previously ons after commercial breaks and the like coming up on Survivor. Just fast yeah. forward through that spoiler crap. Also, some of the challenges are just kind of meh. So you could probably skip through those and they're, yeah, they're just, like 15 minutes long. Yeah. Just see who wins. Yeah. It's the, not the most interesting part. Yeah. Occasionally you have comedic challenges where, not intentionally, but where I remember one time. Uh, they tethered people together, and they had to pass through a series of like fences. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and there's this just giant. I guess he's similar to CT uh, yeah. because this is just this monster of a man uh, who was paired up with this uh, like I don't know, like 48 year old business exec who's maybe about 120 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so he, they're tethered together, and he's just like grabbing him by the arm, yanking him through, and the poor business exec is like getting. His head is like smacking against <laughs> fence boards constantly, and that pissed off giant ogre is just just, just dragging, <laughs> just dragging his kill, <laughs> dragging his kill over the course. And oh my god, I was just laughing so hard at it. But but yeah, yeah. I think I'm back in on Survivor, but I do have a hidden trauma about Survivor. Oh, no. at our, oh that's right. Uh, at our high school psychology class. Back in the day, a uh, psychology teacher like hosted a survivor throughout the uh, throughout the semester. Everybody that was everyone was in the survivor thing, and you know there were tribes and would vote, and they would do their version of physical challenges. I was in this class. I was the first person voted out. Aww. It was the most traumatizing thing ever because after that, there's like the council. It's chairs at the back of the class that just watches everybody do the fun stuff. That's that's what I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, they only did that your year. They, he never did it again. Yeah, he did it. A pre, I think a couple years prior. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like he probably caught a lot of shit for that. Yeah, I think a lot of parents uh, didn't. I know our like mom that kind of direct judgment. I know our mom didn't care. Yeah, our mom didn't care. I didn't care that much, <laughs> but only I. You know, when you're, I think I was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I think I was in a sophomore, and it was mostly seniors and juniors, like freaking coasting yeah uh there were a couple other sophomores in there it was just an elective class yeah um it was just not fun to watch the rest of it play out although when i did get voted out someone did cry that you know didn't want to vote me out (laughs) (laughs) were there any stakes involved was there anything you could win i think you won like uh i don't know something for chick-fil-a or you won uh you may have won it was also a weird thing. You may have one that you don't have to go to class for the last week, or you don't have to take the final, something gotcha. like that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get over it. After that <laughs> traumatizing loss, I rebuilt myself completely from the ground up. <laughs> You're a new man. I'm a new man. I, <laughs> I'm married. I own a house. I have a job. <laughs> it's not haunting me still. <laughs> You're married. You have a house. You have a job. Um, but if only. But if only. <laughs> so you get in the car every morning and you just repeat that to yourself <laughs> before you get get on your drive. Like, I'm a man. <laughs> I have a house. I have a wife. Now, it just reminded me that when we were talking about, like, is that good for their game theory of, of doing that stuff? Mm-hmm. Putting yourself in a position. I can do it because I was there. <laughs> in a high school simulation. So... Other than all the reality TV, I guess I guess this week's theme has been reality TV, huh? Yeah, I feel like like to your point, Chris, and to to your point also. At this point, if you're going on a reality TV show, like you're saying, you need to be in an encyclopedia of all that knowledge, right? If you're getting onto 
Survivor. I feel like everyone needs to train for like a week on how to start a fire from scratch. Yeah. Using like a stick yes. and some string. Also do lots of, spend a lot of time doing puzzles before yeah. you go on there because survivors do sliding puzzles. Every reality, like, yeah. Like it's every, sliding puzzles. It's matching shapes into a position. It's just that like deductive reasoning. Like the, if one is a square and two is a circle, what can three be? That kind mm-hmm. of like, do whatever you can. I think they alluded to it on the challenge. They talk about, like, they have, like, some of them have, like, an app on their phone where they do those kind of puzzles, like, leading up to it. Right. Well, the thing also is that, like, just recently on the real world, the challenge, and Are You The One, Are You The One doesn't have them yet, but they just gave them cell phones. Like, for the first time in, like, the 20 years of the show, they've given them, like, contact to the outside world. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't intentionally like Big Brother, where like you're closed in in this house, all you have is each other to entertain yourselves. Like, but they still would restrict that access. But yeah, like you have to train for this. This yeah. is going to be your job for. I mean, are you the one? Is eleven weeks. Yeah, it may be compressed though. I was thinking about that. It's probably not an entire week. Maybe like every three days or something. Yeah, I mean the way the way that the 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 host talks about it, it says it does sound like the chunks are by week. Yeah, it could be. I mean they're all like twenty two year old like bartenders who don't do anything. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Though. That's all right. Yeah, I want to watch Survivor now this season. I'm gonna. Me too. Also, uh, it's fun to go back. Uh, I had actually never seen the first season until a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and it is such a it's a night and day difference. It's such a different game. The first season, because like even the producers, Jeff Probst, they didn't really know what they were doing. They were just going to see how it worked. Yeah, it was an experiment on their end, and and, and every contestant on there gets blindsided by everything that happens. They don't. Yeah, nobody knows what's going on. It's not until halfway through the season that someone, and it's Richard Hatch who comes up with the idea of we should just vote together every time because they approached it like, oh, individuals, we have to come together and vote like an election and sure. vote someone off. And then Richard Hatch just came just said, hey. The four of us should just vote the same way every week and talk about how we're going to vote. And yeah, because then we'll make it to the end, and, and then we'll figure it out. And they did; they just coast mm-hmm. to the end. Yeah, and then and then with that protection, Richard Hatch got to do like crazy Richard Hatch stuff, like walk around the island naked. Mm-hmm. You know, because what was what were what were they going to do about? Yeah, it? and not pay taxes. Also, the dynamic <laughs> the dynamic between him. So this was uh, the the first one was in two thousand. The dynamic between Richard Hatch, the gay walking around nude guy. And Rudy, 78-year-old Navy SEAL, mm-hmm. who is, like, pretty conservative. And the two of them just working together and respecting each other is really uh, ahead of its time mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, a relationship like that. And it's it was really fun to watch. Yeah, because that, that was kind of an undertone theme for all of Survivor is that they also tried to get people from, like, as many different... Sectors of life as they could. Yeah, sure. The, those, yeah, part of the concept. Was yeah, that. slam them together and be like, work together. Yeah, or or don't, or like like find your race and then we're gonna put <laughs> you on your own island. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not saying the islands are segregated. But <laughs> there is a border. I think the, I think the first season is on Hulu, maybe, mm-hmm. and uh, or Amazon, one or the other. And uh, unfortunately, they're not all. I wish I, I would go back and just watch. A lot of the early seasons. I would be interested, especially since we've talked about it, but I really want to see how the Cook Island thing plays out. Like, just basically fast forward to all of the discussions. and Yeah. And it's fun. Cool. Survivor. Survivor. 
And MTV. And MTV. MTV. So that, that winds up being our, our topic this week. You know, we weren't expecting to talk about reality TV so much, but, you know, it's it's just like real life. Reality TV winds up sucking a whole a lot more of your time <laughs> than you planned on it. Yeah. It's a perfect time period for it, you know. There's some great stuff in theaters, but right now it's kind of a dumping ground for yeah. movies, uh Real good TV doesn't really start yet, yeah. and uh, I think there's a couple, all you know, big star releases that have happened in video games. But for the most part, mm-hmm. yeah, this is kind of a dead period. So reality TV fill in the void a little bit. Yeah, this is an interesting little period of releases for video games because more and more recently have there been good March releases where before it had been like TV and movies where they just you know dump products because you know you want a little bit of cash out of them before the fiscal year ends right christmas is such a big deal for video games right but yeah this march and april is gonna be really good for games uh persona 5 the english translation yeah uh, the first review came down and 10 out of 10 i think we're gonna see that's long delayed too oh yeah i mean it was in translation and localization for a year anyway it's fun watching reality tv um, we'll talk about board games after our board game bonanza from last weekend. Um, when TJ gets back, I think he will not be upset. When he gets back from the front lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I guess I've got homework this week. Sure. And for no particular reason, except that it is a new ad on Netflix, which I think is crazy. And because I love the franchise, one, two, and three. Um, anyone want to guess what it is? Jurassic Park. No. It did just recently get added, though. Fast and Furious? Nope. There's eight of those, and none of them... Oh, there's about to be eight, and none of them are on Netflix. Um, the Karate Kid. No, there's four of those. What if I said... What if I said animated? Toy Story. Nope. David? Blame for time. There's like 14 of those. <laughs> <laughs> You're losing us. All right. Kung Fu Panda. Ah! Okay. I love Kung Fu Panda. I want to talk about it. I think it's one of the... It's an underappreciated animated series. I think all three of them are great. Hmm. Um, they, and they, all three of them have great ensemble casts, which just get bigger and bigger every movie. Because like an animated movie does that's targeted at kids, it can't get rid of characters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they just keep like piling on. Um, but I like Kung Fu Panda. It's a lot of fun. So we're watching the first one. Sure. Okay. Or watch all three. <laughs> a lot of homework. <laughs> and you have to write a fourth one. So we did, we did Swingers, which is an... Hour and thirty three minutes, I think, mm-hmm. for the the week that we had like we had like eleven days between podcasts to watch yeah. an hour and a half, and so now <laughs> it's you got one week watch three <laughs> Kung Fu Panda movies. It's almost over six hours of Panda. <laughs> almost the Herculean task of watching OJ Made in America, that's but a, not quite. That's a that's a lot of skadoos. <laughs> skadoosh. What is skadoosh. Skadoosh. Okay, it's been a while. I need to rewatch it. There yeah. you go. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda. I'll communicate with our um, our uh, man across the pond and let him know what the homework is. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> Over there. <laughs> All right, so homework is going to be Kung Fu Panda, and I think that wraps it up. Um, anyway, this was Talkie Talk, the Media By Us podcast. Connect with us on Twitter at The Media By Us. Email us via themediabyus at gmail.com or our Facebook groups, Movies By Us, TV By Us, and Games By Us. We would love to hear from you for any podcast topics, especially now in the wasteland of, you know, what are we going to talk about next? So please get get in touch with us any way you can. 
And please subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcatching app and uh, give us five stars, even if we don't deserve it, to help prop up our poor self-esteems and keep this going. And anyway, just wanted to thank you guys for listening and thank uh, everyone for being here. So thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Brent. My pleasure. Thanks, David. Thanks, TJ. Fighting a good fight for us out there. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have something interesting to hear from him when he gets back. Yep. That's it. Bye. Bye. What do they say at the end of Survivor? And now your time has ended? (laughs) Your job job is spoken. There you go. The podcast is spoken. (laughs) Here's something that's like massively illegal. I'll probably be around four stars on it. What happened to my, my show? How did you get ahead of me? And why is this happening? Like a banjo. (laughs) State Farm is there. Oh my gosh, this is uh, going off the rails.